On Sunday mornings at Northside, we have been talking about a lot about grace this year, and not just talking about grace, but actually acting in grace and living out grace toward one another. And I hope that you've grown as a, as a result of our studies, but I really hope that you've also grown and matured as a result of practicing that which God has done in you through us in Christ Jesus. And so it's been with this kind of thought in mind that we've had these monthly June or challenges of, of living out grace, of practicing it, of putting it into our, a part of our daily lives as we go about and live. Grace is not just something to be thought about on Sunday. Grace is something to be lived out Monday through Saturday. And, well, Sunday, too. Uh, as a part of that, uh, in June, we have challenged you with this very simple grace challenge to give forgiveness. Now, I've put a little yes or no question right at the top of that uh, so for you to hand out, for you to fill out, because it's a very personal question. You know, grace is one thing to be received. Uh, everybody loves grace. Everybody wants the forgiveness of God. But remember, Jesus taught us that the price of that forgiveness is this. We must be willing to extend forgiveness to others as well. And so it's a hard thing for us to ask and to to say, oh, I need God's grace. I want God's grace, and I certainly need his forgiveness. And at the same time say, I'm unwilling to give it to someone else. They they don't deserve it. They haven't earned it. You see, they haven't done what's right, and and I'm just not going to give it to them because I'm in the right Grace is about doing right, not about being right. The only one who did right and was right is God himself. All of us, we fall short. Ephesians 4.32 is the verse which reminds us or sort of points the way for this challenge. And if you haven't memorized it, you can open in your Bible. Paul writes simply, be kind to one another, tender-hearted. Forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. The most important word in that verse is the simple word as. Once we realize what we've been forgiven of and how much grace God's poured into us, how can we then be miserly in withholding it from others? So I want to challenge you this morning. Uh, you know, have you done that? Check yes or no. And if you haven't, the follow-up question would be, do you want God's forgiveness? Now, those two questions are closely connected. This morning, we wrap up our series that we've been calling Transforming Grace. And the idea is that grace makes an impact. It's not just a theological idea, but it changes us, who we are, and God, who God is transforming us into being. Uh, we're in Ephesians chapter 2, if you want to turn there, that's where we'll be for most of the lesson. And so far, we've learned how and why God's grace and his grace alone transforms us like nothing else could do. Uh, it, it takes us from being dead in sin to being alive in Christ. It transitions us from an old life to a new life. It brings us from serving the flesh to serving the Spirit. Our key text, as was just read for us, is Ephesians chapter 2, verses 6 through 10. And I want us to get this so much 
I would like to, for us to read it together. And if you wouldn't mind, as you see the words on the screen or they're from your Bible, if you would just read the words that I have put in bold as we read together from Ephesians 2, 6 through 10. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Let's keep going. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God created in advance for us to do. We have to let grace transform when we understand that it's not something that we earn, but it's something that we respond to. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, this is so interesting, He said in reflecting upon the power and the might of the resurrection, he then he then pauses, pulls back and he he inserts a little personal statement in here. Uh, This is first Corinthians 15, starting in verse nine, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. And we, we always say, oh, the Apostle Paul. I mean, he, we, we, we sort of almost, we shouldn't revere that name. Paul would say, no, 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 wait a second. Don't, no, no, don't even begin to think of me on any sort of elevated plane. Because I'm the least of the apostles. I didn't walk around with Jesus. I didn't hear the teachings. I didn't witness the, the miracles, at least firsthand. I, I was sort of a, an afterthought, an asterisk. And in my story... I was the opposite. I saw these Christians running around, these people, followers of the way, these Christians. And I said, we got to get rid of that. we got to stomp that out. That is going against God's chosen people. And, and it's up, upheaving what God had intended. And he was there giving witness to the persecution of Christians like Stephen. He was there watching as they gasped their last breath. He was giving okay as Christians were dragged and persecuted and in some cases executed. And then one day on a road to Damascus, he was blinded by the light. And he was blinded in such a way and Jesus said, Lord, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Oh, I know that Paul was changed But it took a holy encounter to bring him to a holy moment for him to realize that though he had been sincerely, very sincere in his heart, he had been very sincerely wrong in all that he had done. I know that as he went through his ministry and his mission work and he preached the gospel of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, to people that he thought he would never preach to, he is being used as Christ's chosen instrument. And yet, he cannot help remembering all that he's done. I'm the least. I'm the lowest. I came in late to the game. And and even then, unwillingly. Now look at this. Look what Paul says in verse 10. 
But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. Some translations say was not without effect. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. You see, grace makes all the difference within us. It made all the difference to the Apostle Paul. If you, if you think about all the ways in which it changed the people that Christ walked with and that the church later ministered to, grace changed them. Verse 6 says, God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. This is where it starts. Grace begins by raising us. Now, if you turn to Romans chapter 6, if you're following along in your Bible, Romans chapter 6 tells us the way to become a Christian. This morning, if you, if you wonder, if you, well, you say, well, I got saved, or, or I invited Jesus into my heart, and, you know, I, I, I did all of these things. Well, let me ask you, did you do what Jesus said to do? Jesus repeated himself many times, and the Bible is very clear. Romans chapter 6, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin live in it? Don't you know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. You see, there's this, there's this beautiful picture that Jesus said that you must believe and be baptized. But what, what's happened when you're baptized, the word there means simply to be immersed, to be buried, to be dipped. We have a, a baptismal right behind me. And, and I've been in that pool many, many times. But what's happening there is something much more than someone just going into the water. They're being washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. He says, is there something magical in the water? No, there is nothing magical in the water except for the fact that Jesus said to get in it. And when he said he gets in it, there's a picture that we go down, we are buried. What's happened when you're burying somebody? You are committing to them, committing that there has been a death. That there's an old life that's gone. And is no longer with us. But then in that moment, we don't leave them under the water, thankfully. That would not be a good motivation to get people into the water. But we pull them up out of the water. We raise them out of the water. And they're all wet and sloppy. And I don't know how many times I've given people a hug and welcomed them as a newborn babe in Christ. And they've been buried. They've been washed. They've been raised because of the grace of Jesus Christ. And, and that is so beautiful and powerful. But hear me now. The raising doesn't just stop there. As I'm preaching to a lot of people who've been in the water, who were raised up from the water. Jesus never intended the being raised to stop at that moment. But we are called by his grace to be raised to a new level in how we think, in how we act, in how we live, in how we treat one another. 
This is so important that I want you to get this. Turn to Titus chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. You see, grace raises the, the level of how we live. I, I, as you're turning to Titus 2, 11 and 12, there are many times I have a conversation with my son. And it usually will start with the time or the phrase and Ty will say, but dad, you don't understand. That's not how it is in the world. That's not how other kids do it. And I'll tell him, son, I know. I know. But I have nothing to do with all of those other kids. I only have one. And I'm called as a parent, as a father, to raise you up in Christ. That's my first and foremost responsibility. And and I realize that means you're going to be different. I realize that means you will not fit in. But that's who Christ has called us to be. Not as the world, but at a a high watermark above where the world lives. Titus 2, 11 and 12. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people. We talked about that, being baptized. Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. You see, there's a higher standard when you're in Christ. You are called to say no to ungodly behavior and yes to godly behavior. What does that mean? That means on your job, when people are sort of sneaking in 15 minutes late and they're leaving 15 minutes early, you don't do that because you're a Christian, because you work not for your boss, not for your company, but you work for Christ, the risen Lord. And so you work in a risen way. And some people kill time on Snapchat and Facebook and they are just running out the clock and letting their boss pay them while they do it. But you don't do that because you're a Christ. And you live in a risen way. When you get home and and you're cruising through Netflix, and there's a lot of interesting things on Netflix, but there's a lot of garbage on there too. And you see the garbage and you say, I'm not going to watch that because I'm going to live in a risen way. Because my mind and my body belong to Christ. And I don't just let my kids look on the iPad and just watch, binge watch all of these terrible shows and don't pay attention to what you're watching or listening to because I'm parenting in a risen way. You see, grace isn't just for a moment. It's for every day. We're called to live in such a way. Turn to Colossians chapter 3. It's not just about godly behavior and ungodly behavior. It's also about our thought life. Colossians chapter 3. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. Raised people have raised thoughts. And that's not just about not saying bad words and 
not having bad images in your mind and not going to filthy movies. That, that, that's part of it. But it's about raising your mind above the thoughts of this world. If you are a person that is so weighed down by every political issue, if what you talk about and think about is the issue of the day on CNN or MSNBC or Fox News, you are allowing your mind to be corrupted by the things that are on earth. Your, heaven, your home is not here. Your home is there. And you await a savior from there. Now, don't misunderstand me. I think Christians should use their brain. I think Christians should engage in the world they live in, but they are not corrupted by it. They are not influenced by it. They don't allow their position to be affected by their politics. May we, as Christians, have godly, risen, and raised thoughts. Besides raising us, grace also reminds us of God's riches. We're back in uh, Ephesians now. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 7 and 8. So that the, in the coming age he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace to kindness, of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Here's the truth. You have a father in heaven who is rich beyond your, your ability to even conceive of rich. I was reading that there are just over 1,500 billionaires in the world. You could take all the billionaires in the world and, and march them in here and fill up this room once and maybe a little bit more, maybe one and a half times, and be all the billionaires in the world. Number one on that list, any guess who number one on that list would be? Jeff Bezos. Amazon. Worth $105 billion. And you see a list like that and you go, well, forget it. You know, I just can't, I'm never going to even get to their pocket change, you know. I can't even get to that level. You think about this. Psalm says, the psalmist says that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. God doesn't, I mean, what we can conceive of as great wealth, Jeff Bezos kind of wealth, and that, to God, is like walking around money. I mean, it's just nothing. He, he owns all the stuff that all 1,500 billionaires own. And he owns the billionaires, too. He made them. He created them. He owns, he owns every single mineral, uh, animal, vegetable, all of that on God's earth. It's all his. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. We can't even begin to conceive of his wealth because we put it in human terms. And God's wealth is far beyond human terms. You've heard the old joke about the the rich man who was going to heaven. And he was so determined that he wanted to take some of his wealth with him that he made an arrangement. And he, he converted all of his wealth into gold and he melted it down into one huge, giant, valuable rock. When he got up to the, to the 
gates of heaven, he said, Peter, I'd just like to bring this one thing in. So Peter talked with some other head angels and said, okay, this is abnormal, but come on in. And as he hauled that giant rock through the gates, one angel said to another, it's the strangest thing why anybody would want to bring pavement in here. It's so beyond our understanding of wealth and riches, the spiritual riches that we have in Christ. Follow me now. I'm not talking just about money. In, in 1 Corinthians 2.9, Paul, quoting Scripture there, says, No eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared For those who love him. You see, his riches are so unlike earthly riches. They always appreciate. They always go up in value. Ever make a bad investment? Yeah. Ever get a recommendation from someone who said, I got a hot stock tip for you? Or maybe maybe you're the other way around. You think you're just so conservative and, and you see all these people getting rich off Bitcoin and you go, man. Missed my opportunity. Now, what's happening uh, is that is that we are not used to a world where where every every spiritual blessing goes up in value. It always grows. It always it never goes down in value. It's always valuable. And furthermore, we're not used to a richness that is given to us instead of being earned. God has given you. Every spiritual blessing in Christ because it was impossible, impossible for you to earn it. Turn to just a couple, just a chapter back in Ephesians to Ephesians 1. In Ephesians 1, Paul is getting started on this treatise of the spiritual blessings. He says in verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. You have every spiritual blessing. No, you may not be earthly rich, but in Christ you are rich beyond measure. The ability for your mind to even conceive, for your eye to even behold, for your ear to even hear the blessings that you have coming to you through Christ Jesus. They are beautiful, and they are immeasurable, and they are unknowable. The truth is that the riches of heaven, the the, the Holy Spirit, which is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance, are ours Because they're a gift. If heaven's not a gift, I'm not getting in. If heaven's not a gift, you're not getting in. It it is by the grace of God through Jesus Christ. The question is, how then will you respond? Grace calls us to respond. Ephesians 2. It is not by works so that no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork. Some translations say you are God's masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do.
You see, God, God's grace made a huge difference in the life of Peter, who was a common, ordinary, uneducated fisherman who may or may not have had a swearing problem. And God took his grace and poured it into Peter and made him the first preacher. And the grace of Jesus Christ was poured into a woman who was living in adultery. And Jesus Christ came to her and showed her mercy and then said, go and sin no more. And you know what he made that woman? Into a missionary who told many Samaritans about Jesus. This is the power of grace. It transforms us into something beyond ourselves. I was painting on a work crew this week. Some people said it was sure nice to see me working for a change. And I was painting, and somebody I was painting with was another adult, and he said, you know, it's amazing what happens this week at work camp. Because you all take a bunch of volunteers, and I was telling him we had a few people who paint by trade and, and are professionals, but most of them are just volunteers like all of us. He said, it's amazing that God can take the woefully incompetent to do amazing things. People that are untrained to spread the message and the good news of his grace to other people. I'm looking at Adam Allen, and Adam didn't know I was going to do this, but come here. And the camera people need to know I'm moving now toward Adam. Come here, Adam. Now, Adam, uh, I've watched Adam grow from a long ways. So you, you have come a long way. Now, I don't know if you knew this, but Adam has recently decided you're, you're going to do what? what? What life path are you going to take? Uh, youth ministry. He's going to be a youth minister. Now, the, the amazing thing about this is, and by the way, bless you and pray. We have <laughs> the elders praying for him. I've, I've seen the teens this week. The, the next generation is a big challenge. But here's the thing. I knew Adam when he was a seventh grader. And my first instinct was not to say, put that guy in charge. Let him handle the children. No, not at all. But God is doing in Adam much more than Adam is capable of doing by himself. It is by his grace. You may have a seat. Thank you. Now, let me pick on, follow me this way, camera. Uh, let me pick on Adam number two, who's right back there. Now, Adam Clothier is, I've, I, I could tell you some stories about Adam. <laughs> and when I first met Adam, Toby didn't have the thought, hey, Adam, by the way, tell the congregation, most of them know, but tell them where you're headed uh, tomorrow, right? Yeah. Okay? Northern Ireland. And you're going to do mission work, right? Mm-hmm. My first thought when I saw Adam Clothier as a 12 or 13-year-old boy was, send him around the world. <laughs> but God's grace does it again and again and again. He does far more than Adam could ever do on his own. That's what grace is about. When people look at Adam or Adam or Toby or any of us at Northside and they go, how in the world did you get that guy? Or how in the world did you get that lady? We answer grace. Thank you, Adam.
Do we understand that grace calls us to respond? Uh, People say, well, you know, the grace of Jesus Christ saves us from sin, the wages which we were due. It saves us from spiritual death and eternity in hell. And that is true. It's not, however, just that you're saved from something. Grace saves you for something. It's not that you're just escaping the wrath of God. It's that you are going toward the plans of God, the power of God, what he has in mind for you. You are God's handiwork, prepared, uh, being prepared to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. This week, you may have thought you were just painting a home. You may have thought you were just feeding the hungry. You may have thought you were just clothing the homeless. You may have thought you were just greeting someone at CR. You may have thought you were just forgiving someone from someone a way that they slighted you decades ago. You may have just thought you were praying for an enemy. But what you were really doing is being transformed by his grace and glorifying him by letting his grace not flow not just to you, but through you. We do good not to be saved, okay? doesn't have anything in the world with us being good or great or earning it or God putting another star on a crown or anything like that. We do good because we're saved. We don't do good to earn grace. We do good because of grace. It's a response which we have, which are natural. So my, my final question is this. What will your response be? What will your response be? Be the way I can figure it. There's only three natural responses to grace. The first is simply to reject it. Drew went around to people six months ago, told them about which which to work camp. They had a home that was in dire need of painting. We said, we're going to do this for free at no charge to you. Just come and let us paint. And they would say no. Because if it's too good to be true, it probably is right. That's what the world teaches us. The world knows very little of grace. And so some people will reject it. Some people try to renegotiate the terms. They want to earn it. They want, they want to pay it back. They want to just try and, and do enough good to do all, to, to pay back just a, a little bit of what God's done in them. And that's not what it's about either. And the third, repli- uh, the third way you can respond is to reply by doing what he said. Just do what he said to do, whether that means believing and being baptized, whether that means forgiving someone, whether that means praying for your enemy, whether that means serving those who will not be served in this world. We are raised with Christ to be raised to a new way of life. So this morning, I want to challenge you with two things. One, be mastered. Let Jesus be your Lord. Let him rule you. May every, every thought you think, may every word you say, may every action you take be because of a response to what he's done for you. And may you be his peace. May you be molded and shaped by his grace. May you let him pour himself into you this week. This morning, as we always do, we offer the invitation of the Lord. Uh, if you are ready to know Christ, to, to be united with Christ, to have your sins forgiven and washed away, to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, you can do that today by being baptized, by being immersed into Jesus Christ, by being buried and then raised to walk in newness of life. But maybe you've done that and you've forgotten grace. You've abused grace. 
you've tried to earn it. You feel like you've wandered away and there's no use in trying to come back. This morning I invite you to repent, to return to Jesus and to let grace continue living through you. If you have a need, uh, won't you come? We'll meet you down front and answer any questions you might have, pray with you in any way, and be willing to immerse you into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Whatever your need might be, please come. Together we'll stand and sing.